Welcome to the Park Road Podcast for July 13, 2014. Today's podcast is a sermon given by Russ Dean, co-pastor with Amy Jack Dean at Park Road Baptist Church. His sermon this morning is entitled, Beholding and Becoming, The Power of Light. We spent the first four days of July at the lake because there really is no other vacation. Each morning, I got up before the lazy threesome in my family and early enough to have some time with my own thoughts and the perfect morning view. After I had made a cup of coffee, I would take out Milton Brasher Cunningham's book that I bought last Sunday morning, his metaphors for communion recorded as a collection of wonderful stories and poetry and recipes. Or I would take out my laptop to do a little writing. The scene could hardly have been better. The ones I love sleeping behind me, a mug in my hand, the deck beneath me, the water laid out before me as if someone had spread a glass tablecloth, pressed flat, perfectly mirroring the cotton candy and the infinite blue above it. Just beyond the deck are two birch trees, river birches to the left with their papery bark and delicate leaves, and a young red maple to the right, just on the verge of spreading out its lush canopy of shade and shelter. Reflections of the manicured lawns and the large year-round dwellings from the development across the big water added color to the glass as they stretched across that liquid surface. Far to the right, the structural geometries of a train trestle span from one bank to the other. And occasionally, one of those majestic but pterodactyl-like blue herons would appear and with a few graceful waves of powerful wings was in and out of sight again. The sun was always up before I was, but low enough in the sky to cast shadows that shortened quickly and then disappeared altogether as that bright orange fireball rose above the pines and hardwoods that filled the land behind us. Every bit of it, just so beautiful. Each morning as I sat there, and this is the honest truth, each morning as I sat there, I was imagining that scene without light. If you could even call such a thing without light a scene. I was imagining all those physical objects I've just named, but they would all still be there Sound waves would bounce off of them, or the radar signals of a bat. The train down there could still cross safely over the trussle. The birds could still fly by. The water would still be cool and flat. It would all still be there. It would just be in the dark. It's not as if the light produces all that stuff. Light waves just bounce off of each object reflecting at different frequencies which correspond to the physical properties of those materials and those waves return to my eye 
and are captured by the cones and rods and my retinas and get converted into electrical impulses which travel from the optic nerve to the synapses in my brain, which then become the chemical reactions we call thoughts and emotions. Without the light, all the stuff would be there. We just couldn't call it beautiful, right? I mean, all the stuff would still be there, right? Not exactly. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And everything else that is, is because of the light. Light is the originating power of all life in our universe. Light is beholding, but light is also the becoming. And the poet Rilke says there is an interplay between these two between the light which creates and the light which allows us to see that which is created. Nothing has ever been real without my beholding it. Seeing it makes it real. It's like the proverbial tree that falls in the forest with no one there to hear it. If I had not been sitting out there on the deck that morning looking at that red maple, would it have been real at all? All becoming has needed me, Rilke says. It's all there. It's all there, the physical stuff and the emotional stuff and the spiritual stuff, the energies and the raw materials of life's relationships. But for it to be real to us, we have got to see. And when we see, when you and I interact and see in the very process of seeing, being aware, relating to the world around us, we become an essential part of it. The future isn't just appearing like one pre-scripted frame of a movie film after another. When we can see, we become an integral part of the making of our future together. Do you understand? Becoming and beholding are connected. Seeing makes us part of the becoming of future. Psalm 119 with 176 verses, is the longest chapter in the whole Bible. It is an extended acrostic poem. There are 22 sections corresponding to the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. The first word of each line in the first section begins with the letter Aleph. The words of the second section all begin with Beit, and then Gimel, and Dalet, and Hay. Our text for today is in the 14th section, representing the letter noon. Psalm 119 is not without its critics, literary and theological snobs, if you'll pardon me, who find it awkwardly long, 176 verses, and they find its structure artificial, childlike in simplicity. But what cannot be argued with is the clear aim of the author which is to shed light, 
if you will, shed light to illuminate the beauty of God's truth as made manifest in the Word of God. Psalm 119 is a poem of thanksgiving and praise to God's Word, which lights our path. Now, people have always misunderstood that phrase, God's Word. The Jewish psalmist was clearly singing the praise of Torah, the law of God. You heard those words over and over. Precepts, ordinances, law, those all refer to Torah. But to limit the voice of the divine to the inspiration of a book, whether Torah or Bible, is a mistake. In a commentary on the Psalms, Clinton McCann says, while oral and written tradition were very significant for the psalmist, he or she remained open to God's ongoing instruction, to God's further revelation, to new experiences of the divine word. God speaks in Scripture, but God also speaks in beauty, created beauty, and natural beauty. God speaks in our lived experience. God speaks through relationships, interpersonal connections of meaning. God speaks in special revelations, dreams, visions, intuitions, which McCann calls unmediated divine teachings. McCann says the vision and the goal of Psalm 119 is breathtaking because it represents nothing short of a challenge to contemporary epistemology. Now I know that's what all of you were thinking as I was reading Psalm 119. You know, that really challenges my epistemology. Epistemology is just what you know and how you know it. How do you know what you can call real? How do you know what you can rely on and trust? We live on this side of the so-called enlightenment, in a world blessed by, but also beholden to a specific kind of knowing that is defined by and may be limited by science. It's a kind of knowing that says, if you cannot touch it, define it, create an experiment to measure it and test it, then it is not real. But the psalmist who lived many centuries before the Enlightenment was also enlightened. And we moderns would do well to listen to his ancient formula for knowledge and truth. Let me quote Clinton McCann again. Psalm 119 has radical epistemological implications. That is to say, it asserts that true knowledge is not achieved through detachment and objectivity. Rather, wisdom grows from passionate involvement with God. Passionate involvement with God and commitment of one's whole self to God. You cannot measure that. You cannot touch that. You cannot define that as the enlightenment defines truth. But Clinton McCann says that's the key to our knowledge. To know God is to be enlightened. To know truth 
is to walk a clear, bright path, to know the world by knowing and studying God's Word in the song on the radio and the song of the birds as well as the song of the psalmist. That kind of life is to live illumined. What better prayer could we pray we who are intent on knowing and pursuing truth wherever it may lead us. Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. May it be so. But Rilke, Rainer Maria Rilke, has helped me to understand that there is more to a prayer for illumination than just praying that God will help me to see my own path more clearly. That is clearly how many people understand prayer. God, light my path, please. Brighten my darkness, please, so I can see better, so I can be better, so I can know better. Your word is a light to my path. Praying for illumination, however, must mean more than hoping for light just for me. The prayer isn't help me see so much as it may be help me to be. As Rilke says, I feel the power now. There is power in me to grasp and give shape to my world. Seeing and becoming are connected. Dr. Frank Tupper spoke to us this morning, and I've shared with you over the last 14 years, many, many times, two of his statements that have become central to me. As I was working on the sermon, I thought about another Tupperism that has stayed with me over the years. It's an image of God as a weaver, but not a weaver who lays out the future for us, creating every opportunity, every good happening, weaving them together providing light that we can step into, weaving together a predetermined divine future. God is the weaver who stands before us, but weaves as she walks backwards into the future. As if even God doesn't know where we are going until we all get there together. Because the future is dependent on God, that's the affirmation of faith, but it is equally dependent on the thread of life that I offer, the choices that I make, the attitudes that I carry, the opportunities that I seize today. As I offer the strands of my life, this divine artist weaves them together along with the threads of your life and the yarn of the stranger I meet on the street today, and the strands of chaos, and random mutation, and coincidence, and fate, and free will, God gathers up all the loose strands that are offered and brings them together in a tapestry that becomes a light of its own. Now, I used to think of prayer and God like walking in the dark using Amy's flashlight. Your word is a lamp to my feet. The light revealed the next place I was to step, 
and I had to trust God to move the light, to illumine the place that I should go next, the decision that I should make next, and I had to be willing to follow blindly, stepping wherever that light led, which was completely apart from me. Just follow the light. But Ken Miedema, who is a blind singer-songwriter, has it right. He sings, when you come to the edge of the light, take a step. Take a step into the darkness, and you will find that the light moves with you. The Word of God, God's way and God's truth and God's will isn't as much like a flashlight showing us which way to turn, determining the path for us, as it is a source of internal inspiration. God's light illumines from the inside. And with that light within us, when faith gives us the courage to step out into the darkness, then the light will go with us. We don't follow the light as much as we take it with us. May God fill us with the kind of light by which we can see our own path clearly and perhaps brighten the way for someone else as we go. Light to behold and light to become. May it be so. Amen. Thanks for listening today. We invite you to learn more about Park Road at parkroadbaptist.org. Park Road is a progressive faith community located in Charlotte, North Carolina, encouraging independent thought, community service, social justice, and interfaith understanding. Grace and peace to you.